Hey everyone, welcome to After Office Hours. I'm your host, Quinn Collins. In a little while, you'll hear a conversation between me and Professor Lee Walker, who is the first president of Dell Computer Corporation. He was named Austinite of the Year, Philanthropist of the Year, and was given the Texas Nature Conservancy Lifetime Achievement Award. But with all that, I'm, I'm of course still understating his achievements. He also has a new book coming out in May called Imagination House. So be sure to check that out. He currently teaches a Plan 2 course on civic engagement. But along those same lines, he also has a more casual one-credit-hour course called Civic Viewpoints, where he interviews a lot of high-profile uh, social entrepreneurs from Austin. It's a, it's a great class, and I highly recommend it. Uh, and it's open to anyone. Uh, so you know, check that out if you're interested. Also, quick announcement, we are officially on iTunes. Uh, so if that's more convenient for you guys, perfect. If not, never mind. Uh, oh, and I didn't realize that there's actually another after office hours. Not as cool, of course, but uh, mine is the one with the Longhorn logo. So just so you guys click on the right after office hours. Anyway, sorry, that was a little tangent. Uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Professor Lee Walker. Thank you. Um, so, to begin, could you just give a brief background on yourself, maybe current classes that you're teaching? Uh, a brief. <laughs> I guess that is. I guess that is tough to do. Brief. Yeah, you know, I've never been accused of brevity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the background was the first thing, was it? Yeah. Well, I'm a South Texan. Uh, if you're uh, getting gas as you travel from. San Antonio to Corpus Christi, you'd probably stop in my hometown of Three Rivers. Three Rivers, wow. The confluence of the Nueces, the Frio, and the Atascosa. I grew up on the Nueces River uh, about a century ago, I think. Um, and uh, let's see, went to college in kind of a, as it turned out, kind of a dual scholarship of basketball and uh, physics. And I, I also got a, a NASA predoctoral. Uh, a fellowship in nuclear physics, so I was going to be a nuclear physicist for a while. Hmm. But my dad died. <clears throat> I'm the oldest of six, um, and you know, you know, way leads on the way. Went off to Harvard Business School, which I hated. <laughs> Just I went I went back last year for my fiftieth reunion. It's my first time back in fifty years because oh, wow. I thought the adult thing to do was, you know, forgive if not forget after fifty years because I was so miserable there. <laughs> Um, and it was just a great, it was a great, um, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a uh, interesting experiment um, at a number of emotional levels. Anyway, Harvard Business School, um, tons of debt, typical student story, um, <laughs> went, to work, went to work for a large corporation to pay off the debt. Mm -hmm. The day the debt was paid off, I, I quit and um, started my own little business, which was just so awful, but chance and circumstance intervened and I was able to, you know, scrape together a couple nickels, had some, I'd say, moderate success, and um, uh, sort of retired early, and that would have been it, except that the, the thing that gets hung around my neck most often in my background is that I was the first president of Dell Computer. Uh, and it just shows, you know, shows to go. You if you, I don't know, if you rob one bank in your life, then you're a bank robber the rest of your life. You help. <laughs> no, I, see what <laughs> I mean, you know, this really nice guy came and asked for my help, and I helped for four years, and we, you got it launched. It was PCs Limited in those days, mm -hmm. and it's fun to recollect why that little raggedy business emerged. Here, what forty years later, is one of the top three computer companies in the world. Yeah. Uh, PC companies in the world, and and more. Like it's it's uh, renamed itself. Technology is no longer just computers. Uh, so that's in my background. Started teaching, uh, what twenty? Oh, for heaven's sakes! <laughs> Let me think. The mathematics is feeling me about twenty-seven years ago. So, uh -huh. so I've been teaching for the past twenty-seven years. Wow. 
Yeah. And what's the uh, what's the current class you teach for Plan Two? And I teach two classes. One is um, called Pathways to Civic Engagement. Um, it's that kind of classic sixteen students around the, mm-hmm. the table. And then there's a spillover class, which I really encourage people to take because it's turned out to have its own power. I think that's where you and I met, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, there, I think last semester, were like 44 students in that class. So I get about, I think roughly about 40% market share of the Plan 2 freshmen, mm-hmm. which is to say there's about 150 freshmen, and the 16 plus the 44 is 60 divided by 150 is 40%, give or take a few percentage points. Yeah. So it's really been fun over the 27 years just to watch the interest build in civic engagement. Yeah. That's very cool. So I guess just a little background for our listeners. Uh, the spillover course he was talking about is called Civic Viewpoints. The Civic Viewpoints, yeah. yes. Anyone can take it. Yeah. Uh, it's in the evening at 5 p.m. at Misla. Nominally eight times a year. Yeah. It's probably the cushiest course God ever created. Oh, yeah. Uh, or definitely. allowed to be created. Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't mean to imply that <laughs> there was divine providence involved. Um Withdraw the last three sentences, please. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's pretty. Uh, but I think what um, well, you can tell me you took it. What was useful from your standpoint? Well, what was cool for me was um, to listen to all the speakers that you brought in. I mean, firstly, there was so much diversity in their background, right? I mean, yeah. you know, there was a theme around social entrepreneurship, but there are so many areas within that umbrella that I think, you know, all the speakers you brought in touched on. Um, yeah, well, thank really you for that. Well. You know, um, the, 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 uh, I'm fixated on certain words, and uh, certain, one of them is imagination. Mm. And to me, that's the theme, is just to try to take my imagination and the student's imagination uh, and the guest imagination and just hope that we just blow it wide open. Yeah. Uh, to, and just looking at things in a little more expansive and different way. Yeah, that's very cool. And uh, so one of my personal questions for you was, you know, doing this podcast, the idea is to interview different professors and to get ideas from them, right? And, yeah. Which yeah. is what you were doing in that class with those speakers. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, and so I was wondering, you know, when you ask them questions, are there certain techniques that you use to, to glean more information from them or to ask better questions? Well, uh First of all, thank you for that. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert at it. Um, you know, I'm a failed physicist and will be all my life, so we <laughs> just do the best we can. But I, you know, I've talked to people who are, I mean, brilliant at this. The one who's most brilliant that I know is Evan Smith, um, the uh, uh, CEO of the Texas Tribune, which is itself one of the extraordinary civic engagement projects mm-hmm. that I know mm-hmm. of. And I, yeah, I've marveled at him. I watch his TV show um, regularly, and I study it to say how how does he do this? And when I asked him how he does it, he 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 said famously to me that he he has a first question mm-hmm. that he's memorized and a last question he's memorized, and then he plays jazz in between. Uh, <laughs> I like that, <laughs> which I like a lot because it makes it quite. You know, it makes it spontaneous, uh, but there's a container. There's a, mm-hmm. you know, there, it's bookended, and, and he yeah. has a landed landing point. I'm thinking of the great gymnast, Nadia Comaneci, who would always stick it at the end, and that's how she got her tents, because they're little tiny feet. <laughs> they wouldn't wobble, because yeah. she would just stick it when she came off those high bars. Yeah. And if that metaphor works, Evan, to my taste, just sticks it. I mean, just bam, at the end. And... I, um, I stress he's sort of the ideal to which I aspire, but it's nice to have you know to have those kind of role models. Yeah. <clears throat> so what are the what are the two questions that you've memorized, or have you have you deviated from that framework? Oh, and oh, it 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 it, it varies from guest to guest. Okay. Um, no, I generally show up um, about an hour ahead of class. I like to ride my bike in for that, and park it right next to the MLK statue. That's close by the geoscience mm-hmm. uh, building where I have my class. And I like to just the next hour think about who's coming and what I think their essence is and where I think perhaps they Venn diagram with the students. I mean, it isn't just about them in the abstract. It's, it's 
where I think uh, the center of gravity might be between them and the students. Mm -hmm. And I try to think about that first question and the last question. I'm really being putting forward a false a false face here because I almost invariably forget the last point. <laughs> <laughs> well, because what happens is you get caught up in the flow. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And um, I don't think I've ever given a speech where I've remembered my clothes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's something in me that's incapable of yeah. doing that. But that doesn't, you know, at 80, I still aspire. Yeah. I'm confident one of these days I will remember my last point. <laughs> and I probably will do, try to do a handstand when I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just quite a sight to think yeah. about. No, I like that. I mean, obviously when you're exchanging ideas, there's no structure to it, right? Yes. So it's always very... Well, I believe, I believe in taking responsibility. And in that light, I want to blame completely my guests because if they weren't so damn interesting... <laughs> then I'd be able to remember my final point. Yeah. It is not my fault if they're, <laughs> if they're so beguiling that I can't yeah. know, possibly remember. Yeah, no, absolutely. Would you agree it's entirely their fault? Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this responsibility thing, I think, is an important thing for an older person to pass on to a younger person like you, and that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, no, <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you had mentioned uh, that you hated your time at uh, Harvard. Loathed, loathed it. Okay, yeah. Loathed it. Abhorred <laughs> it. There's not a strong enough word. Well, because, you know, if you have like 10 buttons or 20 buttons of aversion, and then, you know, let's say you have 10 buttons of, I mean, 10, 10 things you don't want in mm -hmm. an experience, and somebody comes along and pushes all 12 of them, <laughs> you know, it's just... Oh my God! I think I spent most of my time weeping on the other side of the Charles River, just thinking, <laughs> "How, how, how did I make this catastrophic choice?" Yeah. Um, it was just such a rashly done decision. It was just prohibitively expensive. The language of business I found just ugly. The preoccupation with money was just—I mean, I—it was a bit of a shock. It, and I, I mean, you know, I come out of a small town yeah. and had been in the physics labs, you know, most of my adult life up to that point. And just to go into this business thing, and at, at Harvard of all places, yeah, you know, I mean, it just, uh, it's what itself describes itself as the citadel of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so here I was, this sort of thing from South Texas, kind of wandered into the citadel of capitalism. It was strange juxtaposition um, but I survived it and I only the only reason I survived it was because of my roommates my study mates my classmates and one professor in particular who noticed my <laughs> how miserable I was mm -hmm. and I think his intervention had I'm positive without his intervention behind the scenes intervention I, I would not have made it Wow. Yeah, one of uh, one of your or one of my favorite stories that you've told me about uh, HBS is that you were on the verge of quitting uh, until there was I think it was a fire drill or something. Oh, 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 yeah. Well, then of course it helps to have a miracle or two. Right, children. right. Yeah, right. I mean, I, it was. I was it, trying to. Yeah, could you tell yeah, that story? It was a combination. Of, well, it, it sounds the story so fantastical that it's always you just worry that people will believe it. That I think is as concisely as possible. Uh, I reached a point, there's the old Churchillian line of never give up, never give up, never give up. Well, I gave up <laughs> and decided I was wrong. You know, I tried, but it just was not a fit. And I went to my room. Uh, it was towards dusk. Um, uh, my God, it gets dark up there in the winter. I'm, I don't remember the exact date, but it's easy to get the exact date because... As it turns out, as I was packing my my uh, suitcase, everything I owned I could put in the one suitcase in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I recall, I just put my socks uh, into the suitcase when the lights went out. Mm -hmm. And it got dark. And I waited for the lights to come back on. They didn't come back on. And I thought, well, um, yeah, I'll just lie down until they come back. My thought had been just to pack my bag, leave a note for my roommates so they wouldn't be dragging the river for me. Uh, and take the MTA down to the bus station, buy a bus ticket, and just you know, head back to Texas. 
So if this the lights going out hadn't occurred at that moment, if it had they occurred, let's say, I don't know, 15 minutes later, mm -hmm. um, I would have been so out of there. But they went off at that point in time. <laughs> so, so I lay down, and the lights never came back on. And uh, I slept, I, as best I can tell, I think I slept for about 24 hours, exhaustion being a big <laughs> right, thing. Right. We students recognize just the sheer factor of exhaustion, yeah. right, which clouds our our, uh, our whole intellect. <clears throat> and anyway, it turned out it was the great blackout of 1965. Uh, I think 80 million people went without power for about oh, wow. 24 hours. <laughs> and it was, it was a historic event. So I'm able to pinpoint the moment yeah, just yeah. by going to Wikipedia. <laughs> I put in the great blackout of 1965 and, we, and I get the details. Yeah. And of course, you just sit here as an old man thinking, my God, how life would have been different without that particular timing. Yeah, it's just such a weird story, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It is pretty crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's my daughters would say cray cray. Yeah, <laughs> cray cray. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think on the point of giving up, you know, I I'm curious what you think of that because I think there's so much pressure on. You know, especially in society where, you know, you're constantly being told, okay, never give up, never give up, never give up, like you said, right? But I think at some point, you know, isn't that the wise choice to... Sure, sure. I, mean, I think it's... A, I, I, I dislike, intensely dislike, uh, you know, cliches yeah. like that. I mean, um, and, you know, and of course, the language matters. I mean, when are you giving up and when are you strategically retreating? <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. I've never heard that, yeah. Well, I've never said it before because I, under pressure I just came up with it. But, <laughs> I mean, uh, one, 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 one man's quitting is another person, another woman's strategic retreat. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, context, context, context uh, matters. All I know in my case is I had reached the end of my rope and... And I quit. What's what to me is fun in retrospect about my quitting is that no one there knows I quit. Yeah. Because it, my quitting was an entirely a private act mm -hmm. that was that got intervened. Yeah. No, I like that strategic retreat. I'm gonna start using <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that if I took any thing away from Harvard Business School, is you got to find ways to you know dress up what otherwise is a pretty shabby situation yeah. yeah so i'm i'm interested in so you know i know that you said you didn't really like you loathed hps oh my god <laughs> it was i think it was it was just such, such a poor fit i i found each of the of the subject areas just this i'm trying to recall some one of the one of the subjects was managerial economics reporting and control yeah, that I mean, like you, you just start to <laughs> snore, when you, and then it got worse when you went to class. Yeah. Um, and this human behavior in organizations is another favorite that comes to mind. Oh my God, um, I, I I don't know. I, I I think that there are those for whom this sort of stuff is just uh, like you know, strawberries and Amy's vanilla ice cream, <laughs> but I'm not one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. But anyway, those ghosts got largely excised when I went back for my 50th last year. Oh, wow. How uh, did you, did you have, I think they're called graduation goggles, where, you know, once, once it's all over, you look back at the memories fondly and uh, not remember all the painful details. Well, uh, this is my opportunity, I think, for a shameless plug, so I'm going to grab it. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, so um, I spent a fair amount of time scribbling. I try to write several pages every day. Mm -hmm. um, I've become convinced of the old aphorism, and if it's not an old aphorism, it needs to be, is a writer is someone who writes, and so I try to write every day. Yeah. And it may be mostly garbage, but it's got your words are down on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like to write longhand. I like to write typing. Uh, I like to write during interstitial spaces, you know, in between uh, this and that. Um, 
and so I wrote all this stuff up, the Harvard return, mm -hmm. and it forms, an, I think, a corner of this, my first book, which is coming out, this is the shameless plug book. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it for you. Oh, yeah. grazie tante, grazie <laughs> I'm going into my, Ital my poor Italian of thank you. Um, but um, in any event, uh, I found it immensely, actually beyond therapeutic, if there's such a thing, yeah, beyond therapeutic to, uh, to capture uh, in as best I was able that, that return mm. 50 years ago. I think it forms the spine of the last two chapters of my book. Oh, wow. Yeah, could you talk a little bit more about your new book? I'm holding the, I believe this is the cover. Yes, that's the cover, yeah. yeah. Imagination House. Yeah, yeah, I love that title, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've come to like it. I, when I first heard it, it's so funny. Uh, my wife says I'm someone who loves the idea of imagination. It's not that I'm not good at it myself. And I think there's something to it because yeah. when I first heard the, the title, I thought, well, that's not going to do. And then... My wife came in, she says, what do you think of the new title? I said, I, what do you think? And <laughs> she, she said, I love it. And I did a quick U-turn and decided that I loved it too. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've, you know, I've come to like it a lot, Yeah. Um, which is proof of something. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it, it, it never was my intention. Really, old truly, old. it was never my intention to write a book. I, I, I would have sworn I didn't have the, um, I don't know, what are the necessary components of writing a book. But something occurred which overpowered that. And the something that occurred was I had this intense desire, really intense desire to hold on to a connection that I have in Italy. Mm. It's a, a little town, a little Tuscan town called uh, Castiglione Fiorentino, which means the big castle of the little flower. And for the last, oh, I'm going to say 10 years or so, plus or minus, I've gone over and given a little talk. And it was, I think, about three years ago or so when I gave this little talk that I give every year in Italy, um, that as I came home, I thought, my God, that was dreadful. And I have to stop doing this. And I became so sad about you know, losing that connection mm -hmm. uh, until it occurred to me, ha, but if I wrote a book, a little itty bitty mm, book, yeah. and the audience got it in advance, then all I would have to do in the future is to show up and be a sweet old man because they would have the book in advance right. and we could have a conversation. Right. And I thought that idea might work. And then that idea uh, grew and became stronger, and at some point, this became the the uh, really the, the cornerstone emotion and motivation behind yeah. this. It wouldn't have happened otherwise, but um, um, yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for that that uh, strong impulse to keep that connection. Yeah. Now I think I you had shown me a chapter while I was while it was still in the works. Yeah. And. Uh, I forget which chapter it was, but I remember it was a story. Um, yeah, actually, I don't even remember the story, but I remember it was. You know, is it fair to say that the book is basically a compilation of you know all your crazy stories and? I think it's a compilation of most of my crazy stories. Um, there's probably a crazy story or two. It's a short book. It's 150 pages. Yeah. The uh, filter I put it through was whether I thought it would be material that was interest stories that would be interesting to students, mm. and then I have my mentor from way way back, my my spirit animal looking over my shoulder every yeah, day, yeah. and he <coughs> whispers pretty constantly in my ear, yeah, put this in, don't put that one in. Yeah. So it's it's a little crazy, but when see people. When people see me wandering around the university, kind of mumbling, I'm probably talking with him. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh my goodness! 
Oh my goodness. That's yeah. great. So yeah. it comes out today, you said? It comes out in May. In May, okay, wow. Yeah, it, I just got a nice email from uh, the press, um, that, I guess earlier today, that they were gonna give me a definitive date okay. soon. Um, so I, my guess is it will be no later than May. I wouldn't be shocked if it, you know, it, might, it could be, um, you know, April. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely, uh, you know, plug that for you too. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperate to get my sales up past a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about a three-digit book. Okay, it's not a bestseller, maybe, but um, yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, I think it's always interesting to, to read about. Because, I mean, your career path was very non-linear, right? And I think those are the most interesting stories. It is about as non-linear as you can get. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. But I think that um, if we pay attention and respond, non-linearity is nature's way. Yeah. I mean, it's a fractal world out there. Yeah. Sometimes large discontinuities in between. <laughs> in between, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, while on the topic of books... Uh, Tim Ferriss, I don't know if you... That name sounds quite familiar. Yeah, he's uh, an entrepreneur who also has a similar podcast where he interviews you uh, know, CEOs and uh, other people. Uh, and one of uh, his questions, uh, or his favorite questions is, uh, what's the book that you've gifted to people the most? Um, well, I don't gift books, um, which is probably a... Um, signal that I'm a little bit stingy. I, you know, I remember I, I just teach civic engagement. I don't know that yeah. I actually practice it all that much. Uh, them that can do, them that can't teach kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to take your question and reformulate it if I, no, absolutely. if I were a little more... You know, I think the reason I don't give books out is because it feels to me like a very personal thing to do. Um, it's like I'm saying, well, let me back up from there. I, I, I'm realizing there's a precept that I believe, you know, I really do believe in deeply, and mm -hmm. that is that each person's schedule, how they spend their time, how they spend their money, how they spend themselves, how they invest themselves, is their own kind of sacred place, you know? Highly idiosyncratic to mm -hmm. them. The last thing I want to do is invade that. Uh, for me to push a book onto someone would be to say, okay, I think you should take a portion of your life and do this. Yeah. That's one thing. Versus, uh, I'm very happy to sit with people and go, oh my God, I just read, you know, right now I'm reading uh, um, Love and War in the Apennines by Eric Newby. And it's this guy that got trapped in Italy during the Second World War and lived as a peasant. Worked as a peasant in the fields to escape the Germans. Well, I'm breathing. That, to me, it's my nighttime breathing, just like salted peanuts, right? <laughs> but I, I, I would be loath to push it on anyone because, yeah. you know, you'd have to be interested in that. Um, or see the book. I, I'm just thinking of my bedside books. Oh, I'm rereading. Um, um, oh, for heaven's sake, Lermontov, and his. Um, accounts of life in the Caucasus Mountains back in the 19th century. I mean, I, th I think, I guess part of me knows that I'm peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to, you know, uh, advertise that too much. Yeah. So, um, but I, your question also makes me think about someone who I respected greatly in his favorite book, you know, Warren Skarin, the great uh, uh, film writer, perhaps the most successful one in Hollywood, uh, he had the, you know, the first billion dollar movie, Batman, mm. the first Batman, and he did uh, what, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, and he did Top Gun, he did Beetlejuice, I mean, he was just hot, 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 he was so hot, yeah. and he, he died at 44, oh, wow. and I was with him a lot before he died, and after he died, I realized that he had a favorite book that he, he, he pushed onto everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was Denial of Death by Ernst Becker. Uh, it was a Pulitzer Prize winner. And so we formed a little, uh, you know, Ernst Becker Denial of Death book club. Oh, wow. 
and I pushed it. I, and then I started, I thought, well, if it was good enough for him to push it on people, I'm going to start to push it on people. <laughs> I started doing it, and I got a lot of resentment back because... Really? Well, because it's sort of a difficult read. And it was sort of like, why, why, why did you do this to me? Um, I'd like to have my $20 back kind of thing. Denial of death. Denial of death. Yeah, I mean, because he goes, you know, in Denial of Death, he, he really goes into Kierkegaard and, uh, you know, Otto Rank and Freud and really no, gets into say. all this kind of psychological stuff, which for so many people is a huge snore um, and to the depth that, uh, that Becker goes into it. And so there's always that, you know, that... that yeah. So I think maybe that caused me to retreat just a little bit in terms of my aggressiveness and Wow, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think what I've tried to do is take my <coughs> native stinginess and dress it up with a highfalutin language. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very suspicious that nothing I've said in the last several paragraphs is remotely uh, accurate. <clears throat> but I'm going to stick with those remarks until I'm forced to change them. Yeah. So let's talk about entrepreneurship for a bit. Yeah, um, that's... You know, I obviously you're... You're a huge on entrepreneurship, and I and I love that. And uh, I was reading this Daily Texan article yeah. um, about you, and one of the things that you had said was, "I love things that have no chance." I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah, I'm sure I said that. Yeah. Uh, that's a silly thing to say. I think it's you know when you have as many things that have not worked out as I do, then yeah. you, again you have to dress it up a little bit. I mean, but I I mean I think there's something. <clears throat> great to it though right because I mean you can never be sure if you know especially companies with such a high failure rate you can never be sure if they have a chance yeah yeah well first of all I think maybe it's useful in that it kind of depersonalizes failure you know if it's apt to happen anyway then uh, it's not your fault right yeah Uh, because you know dealing with fear and failure is probably maybe as just dealing with our fears is probably as central an issue as we humans have right um, and not, you know, no one wants to look like an ass. No one wants to be humiliated. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, no one wants to be, you know, sort of, I don't know, uh, pointed at, you yeah. know. And when you get out there, there's that risk, I suppose. Um, although I do think I do take comfort in the notion that uh, we we think people pay attention to us. Most people don't pay any attention to us at all. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that. Um, the entrepreneurship thing fascinates me because it combines three or four things that I'm hyper, hyper obsessive about. Mm-hmm. The topic of attention is something I could quite happily talk about all week. Uh, the topic of imagination, uh, ditto, and, and the interaction between you know what we believe is what we see, and what we see is what we believe. I mean, the interaction between yeah. attention and imagination yeah. fascinates me beyond um, the whole notion of kind of discernment analysis. I mean, how you pick through your your imagination, your imagination choices, mm. and and think about okay, which of the choices might be the you know the thing to do is to me quite interesting, and then. The, Truth, my goodness, then the whole kind of courage action thing. Mm. To my taste, the, the, what miss, is missing in universities is the action thing. I mean, we're pretty good at you know the imagination thing and talking about things, mm. but actually doing stuff. And then the whole iteration of having done something and paying attention to what you've done because generally the thing you've done is at best kind of north by northwest. It isn't true north because you've just, you know, you've Positive kind of a hypothesis, an initial, you know, business model, mm-hmm. and off you go, and then you start to get feedback, and then you, adjustments have got to occur. Um, that whole kind of iterative process, that whole thing, I'm beyond fascinated with. And the final thing that pops in my mind is nothing that I've said in any way, shape, or form ought to suggest that that's about money. Mm-hmm. It can be about money, but it can be. It can be quite pure in its kind of civic, um, you know, trying to do something for the civic good. So I want to go deeper into the topic of attention that you had mentioned, because I had never heard that 
I guess being a part of entrepreneurship before, and I think that's very interesting. That oh, it all begins. I mean, um, I think about my friend Michael Dow. Um, I think he's got, I, I, you know, there's the overused word genius. I do think he's a genius yeah. uh, at many levels. And I think the thing that he's most genius at is noticing hmm. attention. I see. Um, he is, you know, raptor-like, you know, in terms of, I mean, I'm kind of a spaced out, you know, nuclear physics wannabe, you know, that kind of <laughs> goes around thinking about algorithms, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my family just is amazed that it can be like a small thermonuclear explosion out in their <laughs> front yard and I never even hear it. Um, so it is not, you know, of, of my long, long list of gifts, none of which come to mind, uh, that's not one of them. Um, the attention thing, but what I what I have noticed is the people who are really good at uh, entrepreneurship are first class noticers, mm. and that's where it starts. Because you, you see an opportunity, you see right. a problem, you see something, and that other people have either not noticed, or their their attention didn't linger on it and mm. didn't begin some kind of um, imagination attention back and forth where you see a shortfall, you see an opportunity, you start to wonder almost reflexively about, huh, yeah. I wonder if that need or that opportunity or that whatever could be fulfilled by thus and such. Yeah. Which then I think then deepens your attention on the thing and you get into this kind of feedback loop in a cons right. constructive way. and. And then I think a, the true entrepreneur really starts to drill down on the thing they're noticing. They look for additional data mm -hmm. to see if it's a one-off or something that's more generalizable and start to dream up just tons of choices and possibilities of you know, what, might, um, what might fit. And you know, if, a business model, if, if a business model is imagination made manifest in the world, then it's your imagination starts to construct mm. uh, a scaffolding that is how the, you know, that was initiated by the attention thing, and you're a far you, you know you, you haven't you haven't uh, gone through the analysis yet portion of which of the choices that you've come up with is best, and you certainly haven't taken action yet, but that early on attention imagination. Duality, I think. Um, it's probably the same thing, it's just two different words. Mm, interesting. So I want to flip that a little bit and say that, you know, what if someone comes along and he notices too many issues? Yes. Right? So how do you pick one, or should you just pick one, or how do you, you know, propel that into how do you action? Pick one? Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I have a very poor memory, and I can't remember if I've told you yet that I have a book coming out. And <laughs> 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 uh, on the on the chance that I haven't told you about that, um, the name of the book is Imagination House, and the and the both the literal and metaphorical aspect of that is my imagination by itself is pretty limited. And I'm, you know, I'd say I'm a reasonably, reasonably imaginative guy. Yeah. But where I do best is when I'm in a in a house, in a place, in a room with others, and we start to kick around possibilities, mm. and 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 we don't rush to judgment. You know, there's kind of a marination involved, um, and so I'm pretty much in love with this notion of the collaborative imagination. Mm. And the discernment, I think, that you're trying to get at, mm -hmm. the, the only way that I know, to, the only way I know, and I, I want to stress, I think there's a million ways to do this, so I don't say this is the formula. Mm -hmm. It's the pattern language I've, or pattern of activity I've fallen into over the many decades. It, uh, reflexively, we'll start to pull together a group that I think, uh, whose domain somehow Venn diagram with the thing that I'm trying to think about. And then we get into, I guess, what might be called a group brainstorm. Wow, I like that. Yeah, I think by my experience is there, there we have this. Maybe it comes out of the old 
kind of American myth of the rugged individual. Uh, not that that's a myth, but there are mm -hmm. mythical aspects to it. You know, the Western where, you know, Clint Eastwood or John Wayne comes into town, basically defeats all the bad guys by himself. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I th is, I think, just a lot of horse hockey, really. Um, everything I know of, um, and I have had a chance to rub elbows with a lot of the luminaries in the technology space 25 years ago you know, mm -hmm. when I was active, is n nobody did anything by themselves. Right. In fact, I, I think it, they, they frequently missed the point themselves, but it was, you know, some, someone, you know, down on the first floor who had the idea and then, you know, we just have a, um, going back to Becker, I think he seems to argue this thing in, in Denial of Death. It's a book about heroism, small h heroism, big h heroism, that we humanoids, we have a need for heroes. Yeah. And we tend yeah. to, <coughs> we tend to see the individual genius, you know, yeah. creating the, the whatever. I'm sure that's happened. I'm just, I just have never run into that myself. Interesting. I don't, and I don't believe in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's very interesting because my follow-up question to that was, you know, once you have decided on an issue, let's say, yeah, right, right. how yeah. do you stay passionate throughout your failures, right? Because you mentioned, you know, your first few companies weren't weren't a success, right? And Oh, they were such dogs. So was it the, the people around you that supported you through the process? Or? I think there was that, uh, yeah, for sure. Again, by myself, I, I can't do, and have never done anything. I, th I think the main issue though is, um, and I, I think this can come out wrong, so I, I want to really pick my words with precision. I think it comes down to your values. And when I say that, it's sort of a loaded word because it sort of feels like a, a kind of moral vector I'm going off on. And that I'm not going off on that vector, although I have nothing, I'm not opposed to morals. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> I like morals. Uh, <laughs> And I like beer. Um, um, no, when I say values, it's what's valuable to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I somehow got in my head early on that there were certain things really valuable to me, really so valuable that I valued them above anything else. Yeah. And um, uh, and one of those values, for example, was autonomy. I had to be had to be the author of my own life. You might say, "Well, how come?" And that's a whole you know topic. But yeah. if we just take that at face value, that I really, oh, truly, oh, did believe that and did believe that, and that I valued that so much that I would rather make twelve thousand dollars a year, and you know, and live in a double wide, that I would making one hundred twenty thousand a year and living in a in a nice spot, you know, a nicer spot in town. And a lot of people go, well, that's, that is crazy as hell. And I go, yeah, I know. But that is what I value. And, um, and so that autonomy thing is huge, huge, huge for me. Another thing that's very valuable to me is fairness. There's something about fairness, being fair, uh, that, and again, we could go off on a whole, you know, mm -hmm. whatever as to why, but if you just accept for a moment, I've, that I've come to realize, and I, when I was your age, if you'd asked these questions, I would have just looked at you with a blank stare because it's only over time yeah. when I just observe myself, almost like a you know a physics experiment. Oh, this seems to you, you do this and this, you know. Yeah. My gosh, he's Pavlovian. His his <laughs> foot flies up when the autonomy thing happens. When yeah. the fairness, you know, there's just three or four words like that, three or four ideas that I'm you know, unreasonably in need of in my value. Well, those, those shape my actions. Mm. And so because I value them so much, it's not hard for me. It's, well, that's not true. Let me back up. I was about to say it. That's, it's not hard for me to endure. It actually is always hard to endure. But as long as I'm consistent with what I yeah. value, yeah. then, you know, I muddled through. I'm recalling my wife and me walking back from a triangle meeting um, 
this is a, the development here, uh, you know, up the street. Right. Some years ago, and she's, it was, you know, our umpteenth meeting. It looks like we were losing. And she said, it was really late, it was dark, we were walking home in Hyde Park. She said, why are we doing this? And I said, and I quote, I don't know, <laughs> but but maybe maybe time will you know. Um, uh, so I think there's a certain kind of barnacleness of yeah. kind of hanging in there to that. Uh, kind of maybe maybe I value stubbornness in a, at some level. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think we regular humans need to have something we care about. Or we don't endure so well. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. It may be true. Awesome. Uh, so I just I want to. Oh, I think you have to go soon. But uh, I have some last few sure. just random questions. I'm in no rush. Um, <clears throat> but one of my so again going back to Tim Ferriss, I hope he didn't copyright any of his questions. But one of his questions that I really like is, uh, if you had a billboard and yeah. you were to print a message on that billboard for millions of people to see, um, what would it be? It's hard to put you on the spot with this. No, I don't mind being put on the spot. I've never even remotely thought about this. So let, me, yeah. let me get this straight. There's a billboard. Yeah. Um, and you can put one message on it. Well, and, and you're looking for something more profound than, say, like floss. I mean, I, I don't... You know, it, no, I mean, well, I just think I think oral oral hygiene is just really a big deal. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm I'm quite proud of my teeth, yeah. and I think yeah. I've just been pretty you know fastidious in my yeah. oral hygiene. But I think you're looking for something more than the words floss, right? Yeah, I mean, either way, where so flossing. I think my mom's a dental hygienist, so we need to get that message you're out looking more for something to people. Deeper. Yeah. Um, boy, this where we this is kind of profundity that just always throws me. Um, I, I I don't know. How, I, I, I think in general I'm opposed to billboards. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to do is put up on that billboard, tear this billboard down. Um, they it really uh, there shouldn't be a billboard because probably after after I have put my profound message up there, which I can't come up with right now, then then you know Crest toothpaste or something will put theirs up. <laughs> And I am basically opposed to uh, people uh, defacing the countryside. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite opposed to billboards. I did not realize until this moment how much I dislike billboards. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. I just wow. added that to my list of values. <laughs> it, so the billboard might say, tear this down immediately. Yeah, I like do, that. Do the civic, get your axe out, and yeah. just tear it down. Yeah. Wasn't there a really a neat movie where a woman did three billboards on the edge of town or something? I can't come up with it. Uh, someone who really knows movies, it's about a year or two old, and there's an unsolved case, and, and the local police aren't solving it. And so she <laughs> writes, you know, okay, police get off your butt and yeah. do something. Um, okay. That was a diversion. Oh, wow. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I guess if any of our listeners know the movie, yeah, please I, comment below. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody will come up with it. It's, yeah. quite, it's quite, a, quite a good movie, actually. Yeah, wow, that's very cool. Yeah, so I, I think going back to your uh, knack for environmentalism, because the Triangle Development yeah. Park, that was, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because that was in accordance with, because um, they were originally going to build, I think, it was going to be. It was. It was going to be um, uh, you know, the world's ugliest word, without a doubt, is asphalt. Uh, right? Yeah. Asphalt. I mean, you take two ugly words and conjoin them, and you get really ugly. Yeah. It was going to be a sea, an ocean, avalanche of asphalt, um, in front of kind of a traditional. Uh, uh, shopping center anchored by, I'm trying to recall which um, grocery, and I'm not coming up with it, but anyway, kind of big anchor, you know, the classic shopping mall. Yeah, yeah. But in the middle of town. And it felt to me and my wife and to some students, uh, and the students started it. I mean, I was yeah. uh, uh, come lately to the thing. I did not start it, and at no time was I the generative force in it. 
Uh, but it did show me the power of students if they really get their crap together. Yeah. Um, and of course, the students had, you know, their, the whole thing was that they didn't like billboards either. Uh, and they saw trees being cut down, and they weren't going to be able to run their dog. Yeah. And so they organized a protest against this sea of asphalt. But what the students weren't doing, and it's to me this is so interesting, is the thing that we humanoids, young or old, are good at, are, we're good at opposing things, but they had not thought through what alternative aspiration mm, should, should be there. Yeah. And because it wasn't in their life experience. They didn't know about new urbanism. Right. And so it was probably my wife who said the words new urbanism, and somebody said, what's that? And it's just a different way to develop uh, at human scale the land uh, that makes it walkable and a, and a place for old people to play bocce and for yeah. dogs to run and for people to live and um, to keep the asphalt to a minimum yeah. um, and to make it highly congenial and compatible with the, uh, the adjacent uh, sort of urban fabric. Yeah. Uh, and we got, oh for heaven's sakes, my memory was so poor, Peter Calthorpe. So in New Urbanism, there's sort of a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if I do the gospel um, analogy. Uh, uh, yeah. um, there's kind of the four horsemen of the apocalypse of um, mm -hmm. New Urbanism, and Peter Calthorpe is one of those four. He's out of Berkeley, so he came in and was our main person to, give, to help provide an alternate vision, and so it was uh, our energy, our collective energy opposing the asphalt-centric thing, mm -hmm. and our collective energy around, and we're not just opposing something, we have a better idea. Yeah, yeah. And it, that was, that's, that aspiration thing is so powerful, and I, 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 I'm always really surprised when I rediscover and rethink that, okay, there's there's something that's making me unhappy, but let me try to turn my energies towards, you know, what do I want? And is there some kind of vision, some kind of idea that I can aspire to? Uh, because that's that's really when a room comes together. Yeah. You know, when there's something out there that you can kind of see it, taste it, feel it, yeah. and it just looks so damn good. And that's what we came up with, the collective we at uh, Triangle. And in fairness, I think uh, Peter feels like the new urbanist thing we came up with was about a C plus or a B minus. I mean, it's not an ideal new urbanist thing. But for Austin, it was like, oh my lord, it was yeah. the parting of the Red Sea. You know, I mean, yeah. it was quite, it was, <laughs> it was quite something. And I think began a movement in town to be far more new urbanist. Hmm. So when you say new urbanism, is that sort of a mix and mingle of nature and urban, but a minimal uh, intrusion of urban aspects? Or that? No, I would say, uh, first of all, it's jargon, so forgive me for that. No, no worries. Um, it's a, kind of a lazy shorthand. But if you, if you Wikipedia, New Urbanism, mm. you will see it's, there's a whole kind of doctrine. Oh, of, huh. Yeah, it's pretty well, pretty well defined. Um, it, you know, to me, at the heart of it, it has to do with creating livable spaces, walkable spaces, where the pedestrian, <laughs> or in my case, the walker, his yeah. his, his his primacy, right? Yeah. Uh, and where that thing that we're starved for, connection, uh, where uh, incidental and accidental, you know, contacts can occur, yeah, is I think just at the heart of our kind of whole kind of human emergence yeah know? and new urbanism I think really is trying to give you know um, is trying to make manifest in the world that idea through a series of principles and concepts so any listener you can look up new urbanism and there, I mean there's tons of books and so forth. so it's, it's come to mean a certain you know it, it to be sure there's uh, variations plus or minus around it but I think yeah. there's kind of a core kind of a core philosophy there yeah, no, it's very cool. That reminds me of a study. Uh, I think it was done by Columbia, and this is sort of a tangent, but uh -huh. uh, their whole objective was to 
or their whole hypothesis was saying that if you were to take human beings out of their natural environment, uh -huh. right, so uh -huh. remove them from nature somehow, right. just enclose them in a building, that they're more prone to violence and anxiety and more negative emotions arise because they're removed. So I think that, I mean, that, that's a very cool movement. That well, yeah, I think you only have to, um, uh, one thought that comes to mind is to stand on a street corner and watch the cars go by and see how many cars are, you have a single occupant, um, examine the, the shape of the mouths of the people who are driving. Um, in terms of, you know, they're, they're, when I, <laughs> not that I do this a lot, <laughs> but, but in my mind's eye, you're gonna see a lot of lonely, disconnected, yeah. anxiety-ridden, dis, lots of disconnection um, I, I think I heard a study once, this is, this is one of these kind of fake factoids that I have no justification for, <laughs> but that the average American, you know, walks, I don't know, uh, you know, 320 feet a day, and they get up in the morning, they're somewhere out in the suburbs, they walk to the kitchen, they, you know, make their coffee, they walk to their car, they drive their car in, they go to their cubicle, yeah, yeah. um, you know, they go home at night, they put the TV dinner in front of the TV, they yeah. watch the TV, they go to bed, next day is rinse and repeat, and it's, wow. you know, and yeah. it's sort of, it's a solitary life, and and I think it's not, we're not programmed for that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not programmed for the rate of change, and you know, you just take all the stuff that's going on, the just onslaught, avalanche of stuff, um, it's, uh, our, our, you know, our millions of years of evolution, there's nothing to prepare us for this kind of, we're, yeah. we're communal animals. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, strikes a lot of my, especially guys that look like me, kind of older guys, a bunch of garbage because uh, it feels to them vaguely socialistic. And this is where the words just get in the way and I go, no, for God's sake, I mean, um, all you have to do is go to my little hometown on Saturday, um, Friday night, Friday night lights. You know, that's where we, you know, we gather, and no matter how bad our team is, you know, that's where we see each other once a week, and that's the purpose. You know, the church, church going in our hometown. I often think the spirituality is secondary, just to being together, you know, yeah. um, and uh, and so forth. So yeah, so I think it's just a question of getting our kind of city planning in right relationship to that very human need. Yeah. Have you tried to, because I know that most of your civic projects, I'm going to say, are mostly focused in Austin, right? Have you... Oh, I'm strictly local. I mean, I mean and I mean local, local. Yeah. I spend a tremendous amount of time obsessing about the width of the sidewalks <laughs> in front of quacks. Yeah. They are not wide enough. Yeah. I'm desperate to get a roundabout in at the intersection of, I think it's 43rd and Duval, because the traffic goes too fast there, mm -hmm. traffic calming. I'm quite keen on getting a bocce court right behind um, uh, Julio's. I mean, I'm, I'm small ball all the way. Oh, wow. Have you thought of at all, you know, trying to identify issues in other cities around the nation, or nope. do you just love Austin? And only I'm, I'm an old guy. I mean, I just get up in the day, I get on my bike, I come down, yeah. I get to hang out with guys like you, and then I, you know, back home, I mean, I am small potatoes. Yeah. With no desire to be anything, to be large potatoes. No, my, my feeling is this. My feeling is if, if we do something useful here, and if it is useful, it will proliferate. Yeah, absolutely. I was just about to say that, yeah. 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 Uh, so I, you know, the, I think that's true. Whether it's true or not, I take great comfort in it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Austin's definitely lucky to have you, so. Ah, well, I'm lucky one to have Austin. I mean, I first came here, I think, when I came to the state finals in basketball uh, in, when I was a sophomore, I got like 14 or something like that. And I, I could not believe my eyes. I mean, the in my hometown, I'm, I was taller than any of the trees. I mean. uh, the, the trees, the green, the grass, the water. Yeah. Uh, our tallest building was our post office, which was one and a half stories high. I mean, the tall. I mean, I, I walked around 
And I thought, oh my God, the instant I have two nickels drum together, I'm gonna move to Austin, Texas. Yeah. And it took me a while to get two nickels together, but the instant I did, I moved here. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. You know, I've always, you know, it was just, it was that kind of first love thing, you know, you just never quite get over it. I never got over it. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely starting to uh, love Austin more because I'm from Phoenix, Arizona originally. So I'm more attached to that city, but <coughs> well, I think it's it's um, again the human condition yeah. is so various. All I know is I pr pretty much fell in love early on and have never fallen out of love. Yeah. So if there's one issue, um, I know you talked about the roundabout earlier, but is there another issue that you would pinpoint and want to solve that you? That you've been noticing. Oh, if I could wave my magic wand tomorrow and solve something, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's easy. <laughs> but it's a whole a god complicated topic. Uh, I, I just find it going back to my fairness button. Yeah. <clears throat> Honestly, I notice my eyes kind of get a little wet at this point because it's just to me such a um, it's just so awful when I think about the unfairness in our education set up and and I don't just mean of course in Austin it's it's transcends our place but again I, 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 I start local and when I look at the college red the, the recent college readiness scores of our local schools I mean I don't know what to do except weep yeah it's, it just feels to me so broken and if I have a continuing mystification it's why this isn't a higher priority uh, than it seems to be and I stress seems to me to be yeah. uh, why it isn't a higher priority to this university and to the students here I'm not saying that it's not a priority it doesn't seem to me that it's anywhere as near a higher priority yeah it's about to be um, and if I had this mythical magic wand, I would somehow wave it, and oh my gosh, there wouldn't be this vast disparity that exists. I mean, vast disparity. The numbers are, you know, I'm not going to do my numbers geek thing here, so we don't have time, but they, we got into them, they're just, it's just staggering. Um, and of course, if we could sort it out here, then we would have a model that we could promulgate and have spread other places. Yeah. But we don't remotely, in my opinion, have that model here. Yeah. I'm actually going to try to get uh, Jill Kolzinski to come on the show. Jill is brilliant. Yeah. Um, I could think of no better person for you to start the conversation. And my, I have many buddies that I love to chat with and work with, and she is one of the main, main uh, people in my life in that yeah. regard. Yeah. No, yeah, she's great. Well, I think we are out of time, or over time, I should say. Sorry about that. No, niente, um, niente. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, but um, if, you know, I don't know if you have any last messages for our listeners on anything that you would want to share. Well, I, I would assume the audience is predominantly student. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, students. And um, if, if I have a uh, continuing obsession, it's about students. Um, realizing their power, collaborating in their imaginations, tackling some of these issues, mindful that the nature of the problems are time intensive, which is to say, you know, it, it could be a 10-year effort to take something on. Yeah. And that 10-year uh, that number I just came up with is completely uh, asymmetric, arrhythmic. It's not in the rhythm of a student's life in terms of semester type. And we are m missing desperately some kind of system where we here at the university, and by that I mean students in particular, but you know, occasional professor thrown in yeah. uh, as well, to take on really the, 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 the tough ones that have this time intensity. Um, and where we sort out how to get in right time relationship um, 
I probably haven't said this as well as I should have, but, but no, I mean, I, no, that, that was great. But, yeah. but that does, if I had a final wish, it would be that students would invent that 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 that, that system. Yeah. That um, just because a senior graduates, I mean, a whole group of upcoming freshmen, sophomores have been totally indoctrinated with, yeah. with not, 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 not propaganda and not necessarily uh, anything other than just a zeal around continuing to tackle, you know, whatever, be it, I mean, the, the biggies, of course, are education and healthcare, yeah. um, or just, and just equality in general of, of opportunity, so, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that, and uh, yeah, yeah, thank you for such a great conversation. Ah, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, I learned a lot. Good. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so that was our conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know I definitely did um, interviewing him, and I highly encourage anyone who's listening to reach out to Professor Walker. He's very receptive of students, and he gives great advice. Uh, he's obviously very personable, as you could tell from the podcast, um, so I highly encourage that. Uh, if you have any recommendations for professors I should interview in the future, feel free to leave a message on my Facebook page. Uh, it's just after office hours. Uh, or if you know me personally, you know, just let me know. Although, you know, I am a pretty big deal now, so I'll try to remember the little people along the way. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and follow my Facebook page. In the future, I'll try to send out all communication via my Facebook page, I just hate spamming other pages uh, constantly. And I'm also hoping for more student input in the future. I think it makes the process a lot more interesting when uh, I get to see the questions that you guys would want me to ask. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving break.